This episode is sponsored by Audible, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash serial spoiler. Hello and welcome to Slate's Serial Spoiler Special. I'm Slate Senior Editor Gabriel Roth, and joining me from our DC studio is Slate's Words correspondent Katie Waldman. Hi, Katie. Hey, Gabe. In case you're joining us for the first time, this is the podcast where Katie and I discuss season two of Serial episode by episode, going deeper into the show's themes, exploring its characters and situations, and looking at the ways in which the podcast reverberates in the world. This week, we're diving into episode 10 of Serial's second season, Thorny Politics. Katie, what did you think? What did I think? Well, I will skip the intellectualizing and just go straight to the judgment, the value judgment. I thought it was an amazing episode. I thought it was so good. Um, You know, I have been thinking that the episodes are picking up. Um, I've enjoyed listening to them more and more. And this was a high point. I just thought that the political maneuvering was so interesting. And it's surprising, right? Like this is not sort of on the level of individual psychology anymore. Now it's sort of image management and like the big political machines um, and all the strategy. And it's fascinating. Yes, I completely agree. I thought this was the most uh, compelling episode of Serial's second season that we've we've heard so far. Um, I wasn't sure if it was going to play for anyone except for me because the the themes of this episode are things that I personally am always interested in and love to read about. Um, Bureaucracies breaking down and the constraints of political actors and, and the particular problems that people in American government are having right now trying to get things done. Um, And so I thought, oh, maybe this episode is just fan service for politics nerds. But no, everyone that I've talked to, not just you and me, uh, seems to agree that this episode really had something. So uh, when you try to summarize uh, this episode, what was this one about? I would say it was about the different ways that different institutions and people spun Bo Bergdahl's return. Um, So from the uh, soldiers who were furious at the Rose Garden celebration um, and also at Susan Rice's uh, claim that Bo served with honor and distinction all the way down to the ways that the trade with the Afghan Five uh, versus Bergdahl upset Republicans and how sort of unease about the way that was handled seeped into Bo's reputation. Yeah, all all of that. It seemed like these are just one instance after another of what's happening now in our government when the norms of government are breaking down. Serial is not the first media outlet to report on this, right? This is what we're seeing with the collapse of the Republican Party and its inability to stop Donald Trump from winning their nomination. It's what we're seeing in, you know, when the president nominates somebody to the Supreme Court and, and the majority party in the Senate just decides, well, we're not going to hold hearings on whether or not to confirm them because we don't feel like it. Um, when the political actors decide not to go along with things, then all kinds of processes break down. And in this case, what we see is the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, the people who were trying to get Bergdahl out of captivity, 
realize that they can't trust the Republicans in the congressional committees. And so they can't give them notification, even though the law says they're supposed to give them 30 days of notification. But if they do, then they they know that people who don't want that deal to go through are going to leak it to the press and it's going to ruin the whole thing. So they just go ahead and they make an end run around the rules and, and they go ahead and make the deal without notifying Congress. And then the committees get mad about it. And, and then there's... There's uh, retaliation. Yeah, they, they strengthen the language um, that keeps people in Guantanamo. Right. Just, and it seems so spiteful. Well, it seems spiteful, but it also, if you were them, you could say, well, the other guys aren't playing by the rules. We were supposed to be notified about this, and now you're just going ahead and doing it without consulting us. And, and uh, you know, during the Bush administration, when the executive branch would ram all kinds of things through without consulting the legislative branch properly, then we all thought, well, this is an obscene violation of constitutional norms. Um, and I think what we see here is that those things sometimes happen because, you know, there are bad people in the White House trying to do sneaky things that they don't want other people to know about because they are evil and bad. But more often they happen because people are trying to get things done. And if they go by the book, then the things don't get done. And each individual little decision can probably be justified in one way or another. But the end result is a kind of pervasive corrosion of trust. And and in the end, uh, you have branches of government that can't work together. And I, I, I definitely don't want to be like, oh, neither party is more responsible for this than the other party, because we all know which party is more responsible for it. But at the same time, this was certainly the executive branch going behind the legislative branch's back uh, in a way that should be quite worrying. And I wonder, so first, before I ask you this question, I want to say that I thought it was brilliant that the episode invoked Donald Trump at the very beginning, as if to sort of put a frame around this institutional breakdown that you just described. Like, and, you know, this is the product. These are the stakes. Here's what can happen in this kind of situation. And look, like the Donald Trump situation even relates to this particular story. Um, But I do want to ask you whether you think that Sarah Koenig and the serial team have a political perspective or one that came through in the episode. I think in this particular episode, I think... they're more interested in depicting the way things get done or don't get done than they are in endorsing a particular point of view. This is a story about Bo Bergdahl, and so there's some sort of intrinsic sympathy built into the story for the people who were trying to get him out of, you know, Taliban captivity. Uh, At the same time, the show seems to be interested in assessing the question of whether it was worth making the trade that was made for him. And it it seems to take the objections of the people who were objecting to that trade pretty seriously. On the other hand, the show, this episode at least, didn't seem to take particularly seriously the claims of people who were really mad at the administration for, you know, having the Rose Garden ceremony and uh, Susan Rice's comments on television when she said, um, what was the phrase? With honor and distinction. She said, yes, exactly. Honor and distinction. And it's another example of the way in which the sort of ordinary practices of governing kind of break down. Like if people can't make small mistakes of phrasing on television without professionals seizing on that and and turning it into, you know, fodder for a political campaign, um, it just, it it makes it very difficult. You know, I could totally imagine being Susan Rice being up there and saying, and he served his country with honor and distinction and not quite realizing what you're 
saying. But of course, if you're from the military, then that's a phrase that has a lot of power and it feels wrong for someone to just sort of drop it in as a little uh, meaningless soundbite. Yeah, and I do think that it was notable sort of the presumption of good faith on both sides that um, Serial extended to everyone. I mean, not only this very rosy, optimistic picture of, oh, we were just, we were exhausted and we were overjoyed and so we had a brain fart, but like we all had good intentions. Um, So that's sort of the Democratic side. But also when she spoke to members of the congressional committees who she said were sincerely and genuinely distraught at the way the relationship with the DOD contacts had broken down. And it's not like they were sort of clawing at each other for an advantage. They were upset that these previously open and trustful uh, channels of communication had been polluted. um, And they were disenchanted. They were the ones who had had ideals that had been tarnished by the situation. And that was not really the lens through which I was prepared to see the situation. But I'm glad that Serial sort of uh, reminded us of the humanity on both sides there. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, The only characters who you could say don't get that kind of humanity extended to them are are those Republican consultants whose names are Brad Chase and Rick Grinnell, who I I don't know anything about, but who are only mentioned very, very briefly as though Serial is doing its best not to get involved in the ordinary narrative of political controversies that, you know, you could imagine them researching, okay, who are these guys and what was their nefarious campaign to turn Bo Bergdahl into a political football in 2014. And you can see just how that story would play out and it it would get us very mad at the Republicans and at their consultants and gosh, can't they see that human lives are at stake? And, And my guess from a position of relative ignorance of the specific case is that that would have been a relatively accurate picture to paint, but it doesn't seem like it's the story that Serial is interested in telling. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, that was definitely some of the frisson um, of the episode was that kind of house of cards undertone of um, all these political players uh, taking the sacred uh, human life into their hands. I mean, I kind of enjoyed that. I hope that's not terrible to say. No, of course not. And on the one hand, there's the House of Cards story of the, you know, conniving skullduggery of, of Washington, D.C. But then on the other hand, there's the wire story of people trapped in institutions and subject to the goals of those institutions and the strictures that constrain them within those institutional positions and unable really to achieve anything beyond the kind of built-in structural mechanistic activities of these giant institutions. And the fact that like one guy gets out, the fact that Bo Bergdahl is there in a hospital in Germany sitting down on the floor because he can't bear to lie on a bed and and when he sees a chair, then he doesn't really recognize it as a thing for him to sit on. Um, That's one of those tiny little victories thrown up occasionally by these giant and inhumane bureaucracies. One thing that I found really insightful was uh, Sarah Koenig's point that the mistrust hovering over the deal, the exchange, actually made people uh, doubt Bo more. So the idea that um, he was retrieved under kind of hazy or muddy circumstances actually made people uh, behold him in a less favorable light. 
Yes, that's really interesting that, uh, you know, the the way they got him out wasn't entirely above board. They didn't notify Congress properly. They traded him for some terrorists. And so a kind of cloud of suspicion hovers over him. And the, the you know, actual concerns and questions about the circumstances in which he was captured kind of turn into something about, well, is he a traitor? Is he a spy? Has he gone native? Did he convert to Islam? All of which then connects, presumably, although the episode doesn't go into detail about that, with the weird paranoid fantasies of the conservative movement about President Obama being a secret Muslim and all of the other horrible paranoid stuff that we've been having to tolerate or think about for the past however many years. Right, Gabe, that's exactly it. Like, it seems like that particular example presented in microcosm the entire political situation. Like, there's one instance of mistrust that just leaks out and pollutes everything. That's right. And then for some people, it's, you know, ordinary, realistic, relevant questions about, well, he was a deserter or, or was he a deserter? And then for other people, it becomes a kind of wild speculation. Well, what happened to him in captivity? And then for other people, it becomes a kind of conspiracy theory. I do wonder, I mean, something that continued to compel me, even though maybe at this point it shouldn't, was like how counterintuitive the army response to Bo's release still seems to me. The idea that he comes out of five years of captivity with the Taliban and people are clamoring for his punishment because he walked off the base. Like I I know by now that like these strong ties of brotherly fealty are, you know, making people see him in a really unfavorable light. But it was still shocking to me at the beginning of the episode that people were furious at Susan Rice for saying that he served with honor. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a little bit when we had Adrian Bonnenberger on the show. Uh, and, And something he said that I think about all the time now while listening to Serial, he said, you know, the most egregious crime you can commit in the military is mutiny. And the second is desertion. And the third is murder. And it seems counterintuitive, but when you think about it, it it makes sense that you can't have an army where walking away from the army isn't just a complete violation of every single norm and everything that holds people together. And when a guy does that, violates that taboo, then you expect him to be uh, shamed and castigated uh, and and presumably punished. And If a guy who has broken that taboo comes back to the country and is held up publicly as somebody who served with honor and distinction, you can understand the psychology of someone for whom that's just such a gross offense against some very, very important set of principles and ideals that they have quite literally risked their lives for. You can understand how that would be something that would provoke a profound counterreaction. Yeah, I guess what surprised me, like that all makes perfect sense, but I would have assumed that sort of the introduction of the civilian element to this story would have made people kind of circle the wagons and say, but he's a military guy, he's back, and now he's presented to the non-military world to judge. And no matter what he did, I guess I thought that they would want to sort of heroicize him in some way. Well, I I think he gave up his in-group status when he walked off the base. I think if you're in the military, the moment he left the base, he he gave up his status as someone who deserves the respect we accord to people in the military. 
no one gets it worse than the people who leave the in-group and join the out-group. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash serial spoiler and browse the over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash serial spoiler. That's audible.com slash serial spoiler and get started today. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. If you're interested in more American military intrigue, you might consider The Pentagon's Brain, an uncensored history of DARPA, America's top-secret military research agency, by Annie Jacobson. The true story of the Defense Department's most secret, most powerful, and most controversial military science R&D agency. Start your free trial today by going to audible.com slash serial spoiler. So there's one other institutional breakdown that we haven't talked about that that they got to at the end of this episode. Uh, And that's the fact that apparently no one in the government or the army has done a proper assessment of whether any soldiers died in the course of trying to rescue Bo Bergdahl. And they've said that they have, and they said, we looked into it and nobody died. But then nobody can actually tell you who looked into it or give you a copy of the report that they released or anything like that. And and so next episode, uh, we will apparently be finding out more about that question. Did anyone die in the course of trying to rescue Bo Bergdahl? But so I want to ask you, Katie, does it matter if someone died trying to rescue Bo Bergdahl? And what, so, does it, what does it mean if they did? I mean, first, I want to say, like, I found that outrageous, the fact that there hadn't been an investigation. And that, to me, was the strongest evidence in this episode, full of evidence, um, that these matters had been politicized and that they were being tossed around in order to fulfill agendas, um, just because this seems like such a central question that people would actually want to know the answer to. Um, I think that... Practically, it would make a huge difference um, if you could point to people who lost their lives on his account. But I don't think that necessarily those results would affect the morality of any of this. I don't know. I mean, what do, what do you think? I'm going to punt back to you. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, the death of a soldier matters. Uh, at the same time, We already know that there were extensive military operations aimed at rescuing Bo Bergdahl. And we already know that hundreds or thousands of soldiers risked their lives looking for him. Um, It seems to me pretty likely that one of them or more of them died in in, in that process. But if they didn't, if no one died looking for him, that's because people got lucky. That's a matter of chance. And if you decide, as the army has apparently decided, we're going to rescue every soldier, we're going to spare no expense to try to get everybody back, regardless of the circumstances under which they got captured, you know that by making that decision, you are risking the lives of hundreds or thousands of of soldiers. And whether in this particular case um, that actually wound up costing anyone their life that doesn't make any difference to the question that decision makers have to face, which is, is it worth taking these risks in the first place? I do want to talk a little bit about the return of the human element here, which we got at the end of a long episode about all the organizations um, involved in Bo's story. But, you know, he comes back and we get this really haunting anecdote about 
him, as you said, walking into a room and someone says something about you can sit anywhere and he just sits down on the floor because he's been so sort of alienated (laughs) from, I guess, what we would call like civilized human existence. And I did think that it was really effective to come back to uh, that individual perspective. Um, did you have any thoughts on sort of the art of that switch? Yeah, it was really interesting because, first of all, Bo Bergdahl's voice is almost absent from the episode except for this one sequence where he's describing um, being in this recuperative facility in Germany. And it has the effect of showing just how far away this whole kind of political discussion and process has gotten from this one guy. There was an episode of Serial in which we spent essentially the whole episode in a tiny box with this one guy. Uh, And now this is an episode in which we've zoomed out so far that the guy himself is mostly invisible and what we see are these giant lumbering institutions and, and the political actors caught up in them. Um, And then when we do get back to that one guy, and someone says this explicitly, that like he's in the hospital, he's trying to reacclimate, and they're doing everything they can. And it sounds like there are a lot of medical people and psychologists and army people who are both very interested in him as a case and very concerned about him as a human being. And there's something touching and moving about that. And then someone says explicitly on the outside, he's just about to step out into this shit show. And it's a little terrifying. Yeah, and I was also fascinated by sort of if you have a bow at one end of the chain and then like people are – you get bigger and bigger and zoom out and zoom out, um, how – people seem to care more about Bo the better they know him as a person and the more he is distant from them and just becomes a symbol the more he's likely to have people cast doubt on his motives and he's not really seen as an individual anymore and I just thought that this was a really interesting illustration of how that works. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it gives you a little window into the way in which an individual guy who made a crazy decision but was still just a guy uh, can step into this whirlwind that we have now of media attention and political attention and just these massive forces that are way, way beyond human scale can just kind of seize you up and spin you around and and spit you out or chew you up or do whatever they want to do with you. It reminds me of uh, American Pastoral by Philip Roth about how like a guy and a family can get sort of caught up in history and how powerless and tiny that can make you or that can reveal that you actually are. Um, And Bo Bergdahl is in that sense, a tragic figure in the Greek tragedy sense, in the sense of um, subject to powerful forces entirely beyond his control. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, that he has that element of hubris in him. There's a little bit of poetic justice. I don't I don't want to say like actual universal or cosmic justice, but there is sort of a symmetry in that he courted those larger forces. He had these romantic aspirations. He wanted to be bigger than he was. And then suddenly, as in a Greek tragedy, that sort of shade of hubris erupted into this situation where he took a step off the base and, you know, he courted those forces and then he was engulfed by them. And that's it for this episode. 
We'll be back in two weeks following the release of episode 10 of Serial's second season. As always, we welcome your thoughts and feedback on our show, as well as Serial itself. Send us an email at serialspoilerspecial at gmail.com, or record a voice memo and send it to that address. The Slate Serial Spoiler Special is produced by Sam Dingman. We're a production of Slate's Panoply Network. Laura Mayer is our managing producer, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Find us in iTunes, and find more great Panoply shows at itunes.com slash panoply. <laughs>